Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ricky. It's a great pleasure to be here this morning with you. Um, I would like to welcome our guests. If you're here for the very first time, please, won't you raise your hands? I won't embarrass you. Anybody? Uh, Lindy and Sonia would like to just give you something. Please keep your hands raised. Uh, a warm welcome to you. Um, it's nice to see a lot more of you back here. I'm guessing everyone's back from holidays and getting ready for the next school term. I trust you all had a, a great rest and, and good family time. For those of you who've received a, a piece of paper, we've got a connect corner. Uh, if you go out the back doors to the right, Lindy and Sonia will be there after the service if you have any uh, questions or you, you'd like to know any more information. Great. Well, I'm incredibly excited about this morning. I have a great expectation that God wants to work in your life. The sermon series that we are busy with at the moment is called Ordinary Everyday Lives, taken from Romans 12, verse 1. If you haven't been with us for the last two Sundays, please have a listen to our podcasts. Uh, Pierre preached on the life of Noah. Brian preached on the life of David. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching on the woman at the will, the Sumerian woman and, and when she met Jesus. I'd like to encourage you, as we have been saying over these last two weeks, that when we come together on a Sunday, it's not you, the spectator, and people up front here uh, doing the performance. We are all part of the people who are making this beautiful music towards God. And I want to encourage you this morning, please don't sit there as a spectator. You are a participator. I need you to help me by drawing the word out of me. That's how you can worship God this morning, by receiving what God has to say to us. And I had a thought this, this week, which I've been thinking about often, you know, we, we have our set mindsets about what church should be. Hundreds of people come together in buildings on Sundays to listen to one or two people speak. But the body of Christ is filled with people who have gifts. And please know that, people, you have a gift that God has given you to encourage people. God has gifted you to be his hands and feet to the world. And on a day like today... It's not about the music team or the preacher delivering a good performance. You are here today. Perhaps God wants you to encourage someone here in this building. So please be open to that. If you can turn in your Bibles to John 4. I, have, um, I will have the, the scripture up on the screens. If you enjoy making notes, I want to encourage you today to rather... Look at me and listen. You can get the, the audio during the week. But what I would like for you to do today is to open your heart and allow God to speak to you. Sometimes I'm not saying that note taking is bad. It's a very good thing. Um, I'm a big note taker. But I, I want you to hear with your heart today and uh, allow God to, to speak to you. So if we can pray together before we start. Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be together and to hear from your word. God, we worship you this morning by speaking your word and receiving your word. 
I pray, God, that you meet with every single person here. If I can just encourage you to take a moment just to still your mind, just to focus on God. You may be going through a difficult situation in your life at the moment. And I know that today God wants to meet with you. I ask you to open your heart and trust that today God is going to speak to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together. I'm going to start in verse 3. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judah, Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaritan territory. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's will. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. I'm going to stop and comment on portions of scripture as I go along. I'm going to go right through to to verse 40, hopefully I have enough time to get there. If not, we'll trust that what God has to say, he has to say. But here we read in Scripture, Jesus said he had to leave. What was happening? The Pharisees, who were the Jewish leaders, had heard that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist. So when Jesus heard this, he said, okay, I think we better go. Maybe he didn't want to cause any unnecessary problems and allow John to just continue with his ministry. It's, it's important for me here just to give some background about um, the Samaritans and why there was this animosity between the Jewish nation and Samaritans. If you're reading 2 Kings 17, it speaks about the northern kingdom that was invaded by Assyria and many of the Jews were deported. What happened is foreigners came into this northern kingdom of which Samaria was the capital. And there was intermarriage between the Jews and foreigners, which led to um, a mixed race. The southern Jews, who considered themselves the purest of them, saw this mixed race as unhealthy and not pure. They felt that they had betrayed what God had called them to, and that they had let down all their values. These Jews referred to them as Samaritans. Secondly, the Samaritans created an alternative center of worship on a mountain called Jerusalem. In the southern kingdom, the Jews had the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans created an alternative place of worship. And the third reason is that the Samaritans rejected the Old Testament. But what they did is they kept the five books of Moses, but they interpreted it differently. They made it fit their needs. So here, Jesus, it says in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaritan territory. He didn't have to. Passing through Samaritan territory was the shortest route to Galilee, but All Jews tried their best to avoid going through and meeting with these people. The Jews were racists, if I can put it in plain plain language. They 
went the long way around to prevent engagement with the Samaritans. Jesus chose to go into this hostile environment to meet someone that day. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water. So I want to mention to you, I'm, living, I'm reading from the, living, uh, the, the Passion Translation, so it may be a little bit different uh, from your translation. Here this woman arrives. She's amazed for a couple of reasons. Why is she amazed? She's amazed because this Jewish man would first of all engage with her and he didn't show the anger which the Jewish nation had towards the Samaritans. Secondly, and we'll, as we'll find out later, this lady was living in sin. She, were, she encountered Jesus in a public place and they were alone, a, a Jewish man and a single woman. No respectable Jewish man would have gone into a situation like that. So she was surprised. She must have thought, okay, who, who's this guy? He, he's Jewish, but he's different. He's already starting to reach out to, to this lady. Jesus doesn't answer her question, but he responds by saying an amazing statement. He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And this water is living water. Again, she's, can you imagine her standing there with her bucket ready to, to get her water, and he has this guy, first of all, ask for a drink of water, and then he says, no, 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 you should be asking me for a drink of water. So she's surprised, and she's amazed, but this woman can't see what Jesus is trying to get at. And as we go through the scripture, you'll see that Jesus is speaking in a figurative term, and she is a spiritual term, and, and this lady is very consumed by her physical senses. She's spiritually dead. She's enslaved to her flesh. Now, when Jesus said, please give me a drink of water, I want you to think about this. I don't believe Jesus was asking for water that you can drink physically. The water that Jesus wanted was the refreshing, satisfying pleasure of her devotion. And as we sang today, I, just, I had such a great sense that Jesus is saying, I, des- I desire your devotion, I desire your worship more than physical water. That is what he is saying to us today. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible picture? Nothing satisfies me more than you. This is what Jesus is saying. Verse 11. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, If you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. 
For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. Verse 14 in another translation, it says, The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, she's, she's not on Jesus' wavelength. She's again thinking, okay, this is strange. This guy says he's got water to give to me. He doesn't even have a bucket. How is he going to give me this water? And he's offering, he's offering me water that will take my thirst away. Not only will it take my thirst away, but it would result in me uh, with this will that springs up within me so that others can drink of it. She must have been incredibly confused. She wasn't hearing with her spiritual ears. She wasn't looking with her spiritual eyes. Her heart was dead. Jesus was there. I'm going to ask you to close, you, close your eyes while I describe this to you because I, I, want you to, I want you to picture this. So I want you to do that with me. Close your eyes. And I'm going to paint the picture. Here's this woman. She comes to the well. This is a well that the people come to every morning, every evening, to on the well. Little nourishment, water. There's this man sitting on the well. When she gets there, her, her, her plan was to get water from this well that they refer to as Jacob's will. If you look at the life of Jacob, he started off as a striver. He stole his brother's birthright. He cheated his brother and, and scalemed his father to give him the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob was a striver. He tried to do everything in his own strength until the time that he wrestled with the angel. The angel popped his hip and Jesus changed his name to Israel. Israel mean, means God strives on your behalf. Please keep your eyes closed. That Jacob will can, can, is a picture in our lives. Often we go to a well where we want to draw nourishment. Maybe there's something you need. Or you, you, you're trying to find the answers to life. It's very easy for us to drink from this man-made will. Jesus is now sitting on the will. He's a lid to this man-made will. Jesus is offering eternal life. He's offering water that would quench people's thirsts forever. So it's quite funny if you think about it. There's a well sitting on a well. Jesus is stopping the flow of water from this man-made will. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You can open your eyes. I don't want anyone falling asleep for the rest of my sermon. Jesus shows that the water of Jacob's will yielded a very short satisfaction. Whatever waters of comfort we drink, we shall thirst again. So I apologize that I haven't been able to for, I haven't been able to make all my points rhyme, like Brian got three S's, three T's, but I came very close. Jacob's will, Jesus will. J-W-J-W. So that's my, that's my rhyming for the morning. 
I, I thought of calling my message the tale of two wills. That... <laughs> so let's, let's have a look a little bit into this. What did, what did Jesus mean when he's talking about this living water? Proverbs 13 verse 14. It says the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. So perhaps what Jesus was saying is that his teachings were quenching the thirst of this lady or any person. And the teachings of Jesus creates in you a fountain that you want to tell other people about. So let's look at those teachings as the word of God. But the closest parallel to verse 14 is possibly referred to in John 7, verse 37 to 39. Jesus stood up and he proclaimed, If, any, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. Can you see the comparison? There's a drinking in and there's a flowing out. But John is speaking specifically about the Holy Spirit in the scripture. So perhaps the living water that Jesus is speaking about is talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within us. But look how amazing this is that Jesus keeps the word and the spirit together. His teachings, when we read the word of God, it, it, it brings life to us. When we have the Holy Spirit within, within us, it helps us understand what Jesus is trying to say through the word. This is what I believe Jesus was speaking about when he was talking about living water. The living water that he has for us. Verse 15. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw, uh, uh, to draw water. Now, this woman still has not got it. She is hopelessly carnal-minded. She's thinking, okay, maybe this water is quite good. If I drink this water, I won't have to come here and draw water again. It'll save me a trip to the well every day. But Jesus aims to make her a worshiper of God in spirit and truth. And this has been Jesus' game plan since he met the woman. Please give me a drink of water. Jesus wanted this woman to be someone who would worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, now Jesus is coming with his, his punchline, his weapon of mass destruction. Verse 16, Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. Now, here we get an understanding of this woman. This woman had been married five times. She was with another man. She was most probably the talk of the town. The people that came to draw water from this well either came very early in the morning or perhaps late at night. She chose to come at lunchtime because maybe she was embarrassed about her situation. Jesus now touches on the most sensitive part of her life. He said, go call your husband. Again, he surprises this lady. But I think in the way that Jesus has handled this woman right up until this point where he's been different, and I'm guessing even the tone of his voice 
was comforting to her, she stayed. She, she wasn't shy to repeat what Jesus had spoken about. But I'm not married, she said. She, she was happy to start to engage in where she was at in her life. Sometimes the quickest way to our heart is through a wound. And sometimes Jesus comes and he touches areas of our lives to get our attention. But the reason he does it is not to bring condemnation or guilt. He does it so that he can connect with you, so that you can worship him in spirit and in truth. Why does Jesus strip open this woman's inner life like this? Listen to what it says in John 3.20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This woman would not have come to a full understanding of Jesus unless Jesus had gone for that wound in her heart. He identified that. And you know, folks, I think we've all been at a place in, in our lives where there's maybe been sin and we've been too ashamed to deal with it. And when Jesus starts to reveal that to us, our first response is to try and push it away and to try and uh, make ourselves feel better. And we'll see what this woman's response is just now. But Jesus wants to come into those places of our lives. I read a commentary this week where the individual writing, he said, perhaps the five husbands that she had previously referred to the five senses of our life, our sight, our smell, our taste, our hearing, and our touch. Perhaps we try and find comfort and water through those members of our body. The sixth man that this woman was with could represent our fallen humanity. She's been through five husbands. She's looking for another man to fulfill the thirst that she has in her soul. Jesus is sitting there as the seventh man in her life. Jesus is responding to her and saying, let me be your husband. I hope you understand what I mean by that. But you can go read in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. It speaks about Jesus being the husband of the church. And here's another thought. Jesus sitting at the will represents our good shepherd and the one who loves us. The woman coming to the will could be the church also. Where we come to drink from our Savior, and sometimes we choose not to, because sometimes the other water of the world tastes a little bit better. But the problem is you keep thirsting, and your thirst is never satisfied. Verse 19, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is in the it is the place where we must worship, which is right. Okay, so she has to acknowledge that Jesus has some extraordinary insight because he's been able to tell her something about her life, but then she tries to change the subject. It's like, okay, you think you're so clever? Why do you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem and not here on Mount Gerizim? Yeah? Try to get out of this one. 
Verse 21, Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. So Jesus doesn't go back to the subject of adultery. He's bashed on the door of her heart. He's wedged his foot in. He's got a gap. So this is how bright Jesus is. Jesus takes the question that she gave him, and he's going to respond but still reach her heart through the question that she asks. She was talking about where you should worship being the most important place. Jesus is going to tell her it's not where you worship, it's how you worship, and it's whom you worship. In other words, it's not the location that makes an act of worship authentic. Worship is not an external act that you can accomplish by going to a place. We don't come here on a Sunday to worship because we're in this building. We don't go to life group once a week to worship. We don't worship God just during our quiet time. Our lives are, we are living sacrifices. Our lives give worship to God. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Worship is first and foremost an expression, an experience of the heart. Prayer without heart is vain. Songs without heart are vain. Confession, creeds, liturgies, and sermons that don't come from the heart are empty and worthless before God. Verse 22. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. This is the portion of scripture that a lot of us know and can memorize. Now, it may sound quite arrogant that Jesus say, no, 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 we Jews, we know how to worship properly. But you'll see that it's not, because in actual fact, it is the truth. God chose the Jewish nation in order to spread the good news to the nations. He chose these people. The message of salvation came to other nations through the Jews. The Samaritans had rejected the Old Testament, as I mentioned previously, and they created their own version of the Torah, the first five books of, of Moses. So therefore, their knowledge of God was deficient. So their worship was also deficient. Jesus is saying that the Jews, yes, we studied the scripture. We studied the Old Testament. These words were available to us, which gave us an idea of the character of God. If you understand the character of God, you can worship him. The Jews knew that. They knew who God was according to the scriptures. Yet, Jesus goes on to say, he says, from here on, that soon this would be changing. He is saying that God wouldn't just be the, the, the savior of the Jewish nation, but that he would be the savior of the entire world. Real worship comes from the spirit within and is based upon the truth of God. We worship God in spirit and in truth. 
We worship God with our hearts and our emotions, and we worship him with our heads and our thoughts. And I thought about this during worship this morning. What happens? How is your level of worship determined? If you don't feel God and you're feeling dead inside, do you still worship him the same as when you feel God? Sometimes we just, ugh, you know, life's got the better of me. No, so what does that involve? That involves worshiping God with the truth. You take the word of God, you, you study it, you read it, you pursue it, and you, you preach to yourself until God manifests himself in your life. What happens if, you know, we, we can't base our worship just on the way that we're feeling. Otherwise, we will be very, very much up and down. It's important that we... We merge the two. And going back to what I explained about Jesus, uh, talking about the living water, the word and the spirit. Yeah, Jesus is saying that God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, this is all so confusing. But I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here, speaking with you. I am the one that you are looking for. Did Jesus just reveal himself more fully to the Samaritan woman than he had done to any of his disciples at this point in time? He revealed himself more to this woman who was considered the least than to the men that he was discipling. And I think at this point, the woman's heart is starting to, to change. Verse 27, at that moment, the disciples returned. They were stunned to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or, uh, why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone. Something's happened. She dropped her bucket. She dropped the very thing that she was carrying around for years and years and years, collecting the nourishment that she felt would sustain her. She dropped it. She ran. And what's the first thing she did? She told everyone. She didn't do a course in evangelism and study the word. She ran and she told everyone in her village, come and meet a man At the will, who told me everything I've ever done? He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. So, listen, uh, maybe there were people in the village that thought, I've got to meet this guy because we've been talking about this woman for such a long time. I want to hear what he has to say. Maybe he's got more stories than what we've heard of. No, the fact that this woman could speak so boldly about this man knows everything that has happened in my life. She's not shy of her circumstances anymore. Something has happened in her heart which allows her to speak with such freedom. Verse 31. Then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. So I find this quite funny. Yeah. Again, just think of this. They, the, the scripture says that they walked a long journey. Jesus chose not to uh, 
ride on a donkey or horses. These guys walked, and they walked a long way. It must have been hot because they were looking for water. The disciples don't go with Jesus to the well. I know that in this portion it says Jesus sent them into the town to get food, but maybe they were whining so much that he just said, please go and get yourself some McDonald's. Just once you've got your food, come and join me here. These guys must be eating their sandwiches while they're getting to Jesus. Jesus, just taste this new double beef burger. It's on special. You know, you, you must be hungry. We're starving. Please, just here we go. And how does Jesus respond? Don't worry about me. I have eaten a meal that you don't know about. Puzzled by this, the disciples began to discuss among themselves. It's like, what? Did somebody already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? Then Jesus spoke up and he said, my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. God chose Jesus to meet that woman at the well at that time of the day, on that day, so that he would help her become a worshiper of God. If you look at the, the Aramaic word for that word food that Jesus is referring to, it doesn't talk about the physical food that you eat for your body. It, call, it talks about nutrients which sustains your body. There's also a translation where it talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus had a kingdom feast that no one else knows about. He fed upon the devotion. Savior, he has an incredible picture. Okay? The Savior drank the water from the sinner. Jesus was satisfied. The sinner drank the water from the Savior. They were both satisfied. Both of their thirsts were quenched. None of them ate or drank anything. Verse 35. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. These people came to Jesus. The one place where they had been going for years and years and years to collect their water, there was another well present that day, a well whose water would sustain them for the rest of their lives. And worship has to do with real life. Such a beautiful picture. Worship has to do about when you are hungry, when you are thirsty, where there is racial conflict. Jesus was weary. He was hot. He was sweaty. It involved a woman who had sin in her life. Worship was happening. John Piper says that worship is not a mythical interlude in a week of reality. It's not pockets of moments in our week where we get to raise our hands or put our attention upon God. I'm guessing that this is possibly what Jesus was saying. Yes, even now, just now, I will seek someone to worship God. A harlot, a Samaritan adulteress. I will show my disciples the worship that my father seeks and how he seeks it in the midst of real life from the least worthy. She is a Samaritan. She is a woman. 
She is a harlot. Yes, I will even show them how to make true worshippers out of the white harvest of the harlots in Samaria. That's, that's what focused Jesus. Jesus wasn't driven by getting a, a physical meal or, or quenching his thirst. And when that woman responded, he was satisfied. I'm not saying that Jesus needs to be satisfied, but in that moment, he had achieved or accomplished what God had called him to do. If I could ask Brian to come and join me. In verse 39, I'm skipping up until verse 39. So there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to the faith in him because of his teachings. God sometimes uses very weak and unlikely instruments, ordinary, everyday lives, to advance his kingdom. Jesus reached out and he touched the life of somebody that nobody would have ever chosen. This woman at the will. And what happened? She led her entire village to Jesus. What was going to be a very short journey through Samaria landed up being two days of ministry and encouragement and feeding these people. These people must have been so thirsty because remember they, they did not have the true word of God that they had adopted. I'm going to read a, another portion from a commentary that I read. Although this woman is unnamed in the biblical account, church tradition identifies the Samaritan woman to be Fotini. An internet search of her name will yield many interesting stories about her post-conversion ministry, including her being named as an apostle of Jesus and her eventual martyrdom. Regardless of the validity of this extra-biblical reference, she will go down in history as the first New Testament evangelist to win a city for Christ. God is faithful to use anyone to reach others. When we are honest to tell others that Jesus knows everything we've ever done and still loves us. Please won't you close your eyes. I'm going to end by reading verse 42. Then the Samaritan said to the woman, We no no longer believe just because of what you told us, but now we've heard him ourselves and are convinced that he really is the true savior of the world. This village acknowledged Jesus not just as the Messiah or the God that the Jews worshipped, but they referred to him as the savior of the world. And if you look at the Aramaic word for the word savior, it is literally translated life giver. And as your eyes are closed, my prayer for this morning, and and we've been praying just that God would minister to you, is that perhaps you have been going to a well, Jacob's well, and you have been feeding You've been drinking of the water that the world gives you. Perhaps you are battling with something severe in your life, or maybe it's just something small, but you feel like there's a block. 
and you're having to keep drinking that, I want you to know that the life that the world gives you will never sustain your thirst. The desire that the world gives you is an unquenchable thirst. You need to know that because it'll help you understand that you can't keep drinking of that water. And you can't keep expecting to be filled up if you keep partaking of the water that the world gives you. And I want you in your mind to picture Jesus sitting at that well. There is a well sitting on a well today. He has sealed off or he is attempting to seal off the entrance to that Jacob's will. And he is opening up his hands and his heart and everything that he is, and he's offering it to you today. And I want to give you a moment to respond. If you feel that at any moment during the time that I've been speaking, you have felt God tug, tug at your heart, perhaps you have, you've never drank from the well of Jesus, Perhaps you've never tasted this life-giving water. Perhaps Jesus is, is drawing you for the very first time. Perhaps you used to drink at Jesus' well and then you got sidetracked and you, you started drinking from Jacob's well. Perhaps you have been drinking from Jesus' well, but you desire that you don't just benefit, but that this fountain within you, this fountain of the Holy Spirit would erupt so that you would go and run to people in your life and tell them about what Jesus has done. If you feel that God has touched your life in, in any way and you can sense it in your heart, won't you raise your hand? I'm raising my hand with, with whoever does. And I pray that you would respond to what Jesus is doing in your life this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to extend your faith. That, and, and, and what I mean by that is that you trust God that the reason why you're putting your hand up is that Jesus is going to give you life-giving water in that area in your life. Jesus, we are, we are all like that Samaritan woman. We've done stuff in our lives. We are sinners. We are ashamed of just that sin in our life, even if some of us are not wanting to admit it. But we come to you, God, as, as someone who is requesting life-giving water. Jesus, we drop our buckets today, those buckets that have held the water that the world gives us. And we open our hearts to you in spirit and in truth in spirit, by, by the Holy Spirit that is within our lives, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit that gave us new life, and, and in truth, Lord, understanding who you are, that you are good God, that Jesus, you are the one who loves us the most. We lay it before you, and I thank you, God, that we can drink of this living water that you set before us.